Oh, it gets me fired up watching that video. There's a lot of, a lot of labor that goes into putting those, those clinics together. And as Ryan said, we're, we're going to be expanding. These are all from, from Hillsboro, Oregon. And we're going to be up here uh, in, in Bonnie Lake uh, next, this coming May. We'll be talking about that more uh, this, after church. And then uh, we're also going to be uh, doing a baseball clinic in Missoula, Montana. And why Missoula, Montana? Well, this past Monday we, we brought on our, well, with our next missionary, our additional missionary, uh, including me. And so Greg and Victoria um, Shago are going to be serving in Missoula, Montana. He's already got a ministry going there with uh, baseball kids, primarily baseball. He's also the chaplain, uh, like I am with the, the Hillsboro Hops. He's the chaplain for the Missoula Offspring. And so uh, ministry is becoming truly a Northwest ministry. And so we're excited about that. And we'll be, we'll be sharing, uh, sharing more. I also wanted to mention... Uh, my wife is with me this time, uh, Jennifer. Some of you uh, know her. Uh, she's been here, I think, at least once or tw- twice. And I know I brought Zach up. Uh, it's always hard. We've got five kids that still at home. And literally, I think we were in the last 10-minute window of leaving. And she's like, I don't know. You know, the kids just weren't <laughs> helping the matter. But we, we made it happen. And so she's, she's with me today. So if you haven't met her uh, yet, uh, she's most definitely my better half. Right? Right, Amy? <laughs> <laughs> Amy, Amy reminds me of that often. <laughs> so, so as you saw on the, on the video, that, that's, that's Hillsboro. And I grew up in Hillsboro. I, I know Hillsboro. I, I know the, the mission field. You know, we like to call it our, our Jerusalem. It's our area of, of influence with the gospel. And I thought, you know, with, with coming up here, I thought, well, I should learn a little bit about Bonnie Lake. And so I went, went online and and I learned that Bonnie Lake, the, the city limits, is, is 8.1 miles. Did you know that? 7.99 of, of land, and the rest is, is water. Uh, they estimate in a uh, 2014 study that there is about 18,000, almost 19,000 people living within the, the city limits. Of course, as you move out, there's a lot more people in this, in this area. Uh, a 2010 census said that there was 888 percent of the population was white, 6.1% Hispanic or Latino, and just 1% African American. Uh, there's roughly 6,000 uh, households, and 44% of them have children under 18. Hopefully they all come to the clinic. A lot of, a lot of kids. Uh, 61% are married couples that make up these households, and 10% are single moms. There's a ministry right there. It's a large percent of your population have, have single moms. Uh, and then the average age is about uh, 35. And uh, between male and female, it's, just, it's pretty much 50-50, which basically means you don't live in Alaska, where it's mostly all, all men. So the, the question is, is with all these people living within city limits, and then you know, there's thousands more as you, as you go out, is, is what is a New Testament church to do with all these people? You know they're all not in, in church, right? There's not 18,000 people here, and I don't think there's enough churches. There's, there's way more people than pews in, in Bonnie Lake, right? I mean, dramatically. So, so what do you do? Well, there's, there's different approaches uh, that New Testament churches come up with. You could ignore them. You really could. You could... You could fear them, you could ignore them, you could 
Build, build walls. That seems to be a popular thing in our culture today. You build a wall to protect yourself uh, from them. Uh, you, you could take the approach of, well, we're just going to wait until they come to us. You know, a lot of New Testament churches have that, that motto. We'll just kind of, uh, we'll make ourselves kind of attractive so that they, they come as opposed to us, us going. A church, and I think this is a normal church, uh, and I'm just being brutally, I'm going to be brutally honest with, uh, with the message this morning. But I think most churches kind of have a, uh, they set their calendar and they have occasional uh, outreaches to, you know, gospel outreaches to the community. Could be the Christmas service, could be to other type of events. Um, but I think really when you look at, at the New Testament, you, you really see the, the thrust, the command for a New Testament church to be all in in reaching the lost. That's really why a New Testament church exists, is, is to reach the lost. You know, evangelism and the book of, the book of Acts, it's really, the, the, what's the longer title of the book of Acts? The Acts of the Apostles, right? It's, it's action. Evangelism is action. It's, it's being engaged. It's not, it's not passive. It is not a passive approach. And so this morning we're going to, we're going to look at uh, the importance of, of local missions. That would be the, the mission of Redemption Bible Church. It would be the mission of parachurches like Sports Outreach Northwest. And, and what we're going to look at is seven reasons for local missions. Now, this is a scale-down... Uh, I mean, I, I've tried the list. It was really hard to narrow it down to seven. And I promise you, I didn't do a Google search. I didn't read a book to, to find out these, these reasons. I didn't even really do a defined New Testament study. I just kind of went with the things that have just motivated me from Scripture through the years. And it was, again, very, very hard to narrow it to seven. And they're very simple. They're all very simple. The, the points are, none of the points are going to be new to you, but they're, but they're all challenging, they're all challenging, and that's, that's the point. Uh, you know, I love evangelism. I, I, I live and breathe evangelism, but it's not always easy. You get tired. You get, you know, you get weary. You get frustrated. You, you, you know, life, life happens. And so these are the things that just keep, are, are in front of us to keep challenging us and, and motivating us. And so I'm going to try my best to get... I've never done a seven-pointer before, so... If the time starts getting long, I'll, I'll, I'll make some adjustments. But, but the first, and we're going to bounce around with, with different scriptures. But the first, and this, is, this should be the most obvious reason for local missions, and that is to make disciples. To make disciples. Who said amen? Amen. Make disciples. Uh, Jesus gave a very clear command, uh, an authoritative command in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. If you wanted to, wanted to turn there, most of you have it, have it memorized. Again, Jesus speaking with authority says, um, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of age. So it's a command to make disciples. A disciple is a, you know, the other word we'd use is a convert. A convert to Christianity. Someone that has come to a place where now they're, they're following the way, just like, like we, we are doing. But Jesus gives 
three main requirements uh, to the going. We just don't want to make a, a convert and then and leave him alone. There's a, there's a process here. First, he says you must you must go. You, again, evangelism is an active word. We're not to wait for the world to come to us. Does the world come to us? Sometimes, but not very often. So, so the command here is to go. And it's interesting, when you look at the original language, the word going is actually better translated have gone. Uh-oh. There's, there's an assumption there, right? There's an assumption that that's, that's, if you're a Christian, that's what you do. That's your job. That's your, that's your, you know, your existence here on earth is, is to go. To go in this disciple-making process. I love the conversion of Paul in, in Acts chapter 9. You know, he's going up to Damascus Road. Jesus meets in the blinding light. Ananias comes and prays with him. You know, the scales falls off his eyes. But what does it say in, in, in chapter 9, verse 20? It says that, that Saul, who became Paul, immediately went out proclaiming Christ. Didn't, he wait, didn't waste any time. He went. He went. He started to do the things that, that were expected of him. And, of course, he had the great mandate to bring the, the gospel message to the disciples. So we must go. Jesus also says we are to, to baptize, which literally means to immerse into, into water, and the question is, is, is why? I mean, obviously, it's not going to be uh, for, it's not a workspace thing. It's not you know, to make them saved. Uh, that's through, through faith and belief in Jesus Christ. Well, the, the act of baptism is really a believer's first opportunity for obedience. You know, Christ commanded us to, to be baptized. And so you're, you're training them up. Hey, we're gonna, you're saved now. You've, you've professed faith in Jesus Christ. And now we're going to baptize you. And, then, and as you do this, you're publicly going to identify with Christ through his death, burial, and resurrection. It's a very beautiful, beautiful picture. So we need to go. We need to baptize. And then, and then he says we need to teach. We need to teach them. Again, that's why it's so beautiful as you kind of, you know, parse things, you know, the difference between the, the, the idea of making a disciple as opposed to just a convert I mean, we have a responsibility with, with converts. We're, we're to teach them all that, that Christ commands. And really what we're doing is we're teaching a life of obedience to the master. Here, here's how you do it. You know, and, there, and there's roles. We, we have our gifted evangelists that, that, that the Lord uses to, to lead people to Christ. And they'll teach them basic doctrine. And then uh, people like... Uh, Ryan, that, that the Lord has called into pastoral ministry, has the responsibility of, of shepherding through their, through their life and their, and their growth. You know, we, we're just not looking for, you know, we got one, we got two, we got three, and then you brag about it and you don't do anything. There's, there's a responsibility. You know, when I was pastoring and church planning, and we had, we had, we had after our two-year mark of, of existing as a church, we started having lots of, of people getting getting saved, and and we just didn't you know we didn't do the you know they 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 you know they pray the prayer or they make the profession. We never celebrated that. We never celebrated that because we know the the percentages of you know the the sower went out to sow you know the different seeds that fall and we didn't we didn't weren't positive that all these uh, 
uh, professions were genuine. And so we had a little test that we would do. We'd have these giveaway Bibles. We'd hand them to them and we'd say, we have a discipleship class that we want you to be part of on Tuesday night or Wednesday night or whatever the the case may be. And uh, the more people were getting saved, I had to go to Jen and say, I need another night for discipleship. But we had all these new new Christians, and we wanted to see if it was if it took, if it was genuine. And we would start to to teach them. We'd take them through um, through books of the Bible. So the the first uh, area of focus, the first reason we do local missions is to is to make disciples. That's what we do as a New Testament church. The second one is very closely related to the to the first one. And, and that is the fact that when we go, we're, we're operating in obedience. Isn't that key? Pastor, you like when your people are obedient, right? It makes your job a lot easier. And the Lord wants us to be obedient. So we, we, we do local missions out of act of obedience. Uh, I've quoted this here before. Hudson Taylor says, The Great Commission is not an option to be considered, but a command to be obeyed. John Piper says, Go, send, or disobey. The line is very... Very, very clear. And, and as you turn to the, the book of Acts, if you want to go over there, the first chapter 1, these first few chapters give us a great picture of the new church operating in obedience. First, if, if you look at uh, verses 1 through 9, it says, The first comp- count I composed Theophilus, all that about Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, and after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen, to these he also presented himself alive after suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days, and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father has promised, which he said, if you have heard it from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at that time you're restoring the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or epochs that which the Father has fixed for his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has become upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria even to the remotest part of the earth. So there's a lot in there, and we're not going to unpackage that whole verse, but what does he command them to do? He says, he says, stay in Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And when that Holy Spirit comes, it's, you're going to enter into the, into the church age, and you're going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to bear witness of me. Now you remember Peter? Peter had a kind of a bad run, right? He uh, uh, denies Christ three times. He swears in the process. He's kind of struggling. Uh, we see that the disciples themselves in John twenty nineteen they're hiding out uh, in the shadows after the cru- crucifixion for the fear of the Jews, right? So they're not. None of them are looking really that great. John, uh, uh, I mean, uh, Thomas is doubting the whole thing. Well, the Holy Spirit comes and empowers them, and all of a sudden you see great acts of of obedience. You see. Peter, the Holy Spirit comes, Acts chapter 2, and he goes out and he preaches the first sermon of the church. 3,000 come to faith. Gospel ministry locally starts to happen. The 3,000 are, are gathered, and as you continue on there in, in Acts 
chapter 2. We're going to look at this a little bit more in depth later on. But you, you see the church operating as a church. They're studying the apostles' teaching. They're praying. They're breaking bread together. They're going to the temple. They're going house to house. And then it says at the end of the, end of the, the end of chapter 2, it says, And the Lord was, was adding to their number because they were gaining favor from man. They were outdoing, they were going, they were being obedient. They were doing exactly the things that Christ had commanded them to do. Very, very exciting. And then you you look at chapters 3 and 4, the obedience continues. Peter and John go to the temple. And as they're going into the temple for for prayer, uh, 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 a man asks for for healing, right? And and they heal him. And he's leaping and jumping and praising God, causes a big crowd, and Peter preaches the second sermon. And it says that 5,000 men come to faith at that point. And so the religious leaders of the day aren't happy about it, so they arrest him, and they put him in jail for the night, and they go in front of the Sanhedrin the next day. And it says there in in verse 8 of chapter 4, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, goes in this indictment against the Sanhedrin and says there's salvation and nobody else but, but Christ in verse 12. And so this powerful Sanhedrin, all they have in response is to tell them to be quiet. And what, what does Peter and John do? We can't stop speaking of what we've seen and heard. Is that obedience? That is obedience. Now, it's important to understand that we're not judged by the Lord about how many disciples we make. That's not the point. It's not our job to say, right? You know, Second Timothy one nine, the Lord is the one that brings life. We're just the messengers. That's that's our job. You know, you say, well, I'm not an evangelist. I never, no one ever comes to Christ when I when I share Jesus with them. It's not the point. The point is that you're sharing Jesus with them. And I would say, and I would say this strongly, that a New Testament church that that fails to be obedient to this command really forfeits their justification of being a New Testament church because it's what you're supposed to do. It's what you're supposed to do. Obedience is, is, can be tough at times. There's a lot of obstacles that we run into. And I would say, you know, there's things that we've got to overcome. I would say the first is the fear of man. You know, Galatians chapter 1 what Paul say in verse verse ten? He says, "You know, I, 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 you know, basically, I fear the Lord more. You know, I, I, I don't. I'm not going to fear man. I want to be obedient to, to Christ. But sometimes we shrink back and say, oh, man, this is this is going to cost me. It's going to cost me at work. It's going to cost me in my family. It's going to cost me with with friends. And and so we kind of we kind of shrink back. There's there's also the issue of of a lack of, of biblical training." It's a responsibility, Ephesians chapter 4, of, of men that God has, has chosen for leadership to, to equip the church, to give them the tools to be able to, to witness. And then, and then I would say also that another issue that keeps us from, from obedience is, is, is a lack of love. You know, how do Christians are defined? We're to love God, we're to love each other, and we're to love to the world around us. And if you don't have a love for for the lost world, well, you better be, be asking yourself some hard questions. What does First John 4, 8 say? It's, if you don't have the love, you know, you don't have love for others, you, you, don't, you don't know Christ. You're not saved. And so, so we've got to get over all these issues 
of, of a lack of obedience if we're going to be effective as a New Testament church. And, and the great thing is, is, is a desire and a love for Christ, that should, that should, should drive out that disobedience. I want to I so much please my Lord and Master, I'm going to get willing to get out of my, my comfort zone. I mean, obviously the Holy Spirit with the disciples was a, was a game changer, but man, they, they, they also did crazy things in, in, the, in the face of great obstacles out of their love for the Master. And they went into the, the hostile Roman world. 11 out of 12 of them were martyred. One died in, in exile. We just have to be at the place where even, you know, as, uh, 10 years ago you would preach this and it wouldn't make any sense. But today we have to, to kind of gear ourselves up with our shifting culture that, that no matter what could happen to us, death, we, we have to be willing to, to put our line in the sand and say, I'm, I'm going to be obedience. You know, I remember my, my first experiences as a, as a, as a new um, Christian. I worked uh, at a grocery store, worked on the night crew. It was the most dysfunctional group of people I've ever been with in my entire life, and I was one of them and fully participating in all the, the things that we were doing. And uh, I had this, I had this uh, reconstructed knee surgery, so I was off work. And during that period, I, I got saved, and I got on fire for the Lord. And then I went back to work after like four months. And, and so they knew me as the, the old Eric, and all of a sudden now they got this fired-up Christian. And, and I just wanted to share Christ with them. I just wanted to share Christ with them. And, and so I would share, and they would listen, and I couldn't believe that they would listen. And then I would drive home after work, and, I, and I'm telling you, I would just bawl. I mean, tears would be coming down my eyes. And I, and I believe that all just because of the opportunity to be obedient to my master. The feeling that I had was just, was just so overwhelming. And, and I always encourage people when they look at those fears and say, oh, I, can, I, I just fear man so much. And I go, I promise, I promise you, when you go to witness, you're going to go kicking and screaming. You're, you're not, it's going to be hard. But you're always going to come back uh, skipping and being happy because of being obedient to Christ. That's what happens. Obedience brings blessing, right? Obedience brings joy. What else should drive us towards local missions? Number three, we, we should be driven for local missions because we, we get to herald the message for belief. Romans ten fourteen. How will they call on him who have not believed? How will they believe in whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? Now, this, this applies to, to all of us. The preacher here in this, in this context is, is any of us that would herald the message of, of Jesus Christ. It's what we all share in common as, as believers. It's all our responsibility. You know, I think of, of Paul writing to young Timothy. And, and in 2 Timothy uh, 2, 4, 5, what does he say to him? He says to Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Now, Pastor, did Timothy have his handful with the church in Ephesus? He had all kinds of things that he was needing to set in order. But that didn't even excuse the pastor from, from doing the work. He was to get out there beyond just shepherding the people. And part of shepherding the people was setting the example to reach people in, in their community, in their area of influence. And so like him, we all, all of us, are to engage 
the lost world for the purpose of heralding. A lot of times I think that the easy route is I'm going to gauge the lost world to be nice to them, to be kind to them, uh, to, to be liked. We're not called to be liked. We're not. Now, I'm not saying, you know, get a big sandwich born and a blowhorn and go on a street corner and look like an idiot. Not, not suggesting that. I'm not saying be contentious and beat people over the head with your Bibles. I'm saying engage in people's lives to, to share Christ with them. Be a herald. You know, and, and you, know, you say, well, man, it's, it's tough out there. It is tough out there. But you know what the neat part is? You're going to engage people from time to time that are going to have a burning desire to know about Christ. There's things bubbling in their hearts. Now, I've been on both ends. I've been threatened to be punched. And I've been on the other end where I remember one time where we do like the, we go over to a, a, a shopping center, or Starbucks or whatever, and we just start talking to people. And I remember uh, me and is actually the chairman of the sports outreach. He and I were out witnessing this year, many years ago. And an Asian guy came around the corner a little bit older than us. And we said, hey, you know, we're just out, you know, talking about the Lord and heaven and hell and things like that. And we just wondered if you had you know, any questions or any thoughts. He goes, man, yeah, I got all kinds of questions. I have just this desire to know. We're like, whoa, <laughs> that's usually how it goes. But, but, that's, but that, those things are going to happen. And, and, but the bottom line is that, that, that we are there to herald the message. We are there to herald. Number four. This is gonna, this one will hit you pretty good. And we're all gonna be able to relate to this, this very well. We do local missions to be salt and light in a dark place. Did you get that? We're, we're, we're here to be salt and light in a dark place. Is anyone here frustrated with the moral decline of our culture? I mean, it's, you know, I, we have, we, my wife and I start sentences with our kids. All the time. When we were kids, we didn't have to deal with the issues that you're dealing with, right? I do a lot of chapels with the younger younger guys, and and I, I talk about it all the time. When I was younger, I didn't have, you know, we had the we had similar struggles, but we actually, for our sin, we had to actually work for it a little bit. Everything's theirs at their fingertips, right? Everything's very very accessible, and so. We feel the burden um, for our kids. We feel the burden for our grandkids. I don't have grandkids, but for those of you who have, have grandkids. And, and we're wondering, we're sitting back and we're wondering, where is this world going? I mean, when is it going to stop? You know, it doesn't feel like, you know, we're on, we're on, a, on a flat ground and the train's kind of slowly coming to the stop. We feel like we're, we're going straight downhill, right? And it, and it feels like it's, it's picking them up momentum. And, and the things that you hear people say and the, the things that they believe, you're just, you just scratch your head. You know, I mean, what's happened in this, in this last year? That, uh, the gay marriage issue, right? Uh, the transgender. We had our oldest daughter was brought in. She's a junior in high school. She was brought in. And we didn't know about this. We wouldn't have let her take the test. But she had to come in into the office or the counseling room or whatever. And, and asked, she was asked a series of questions, and one of them is, what, what uh, sex does she identify with? It's my 16-year-old girl. You know, of course, she's been trained. She's like, uh, a girl? I mean, <laughs> there's no, no question in her mind. And so she kind of, you know, she was able to process it properly. But could you imagine doing that as a kid? I mean, never. 
Never. You know, legalized pots. Um, you know, of course, we've been battling the, the sanctity of life issue for, for years and years. And, and what, you know, what else? What other things that are going to come down the pike? And so, so the question is, is, is what is the, the response the, of us as Christians to this morally corrupt culture? And Matthew gives us, records some, some great words from Jesus on this topic in, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. If you want to follow along there, uh, Jesus says, he says, You are the salt of the earth, but if a salt has become tasteless, how it becomes salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand and gives light to all who are in the house. Let your shine, let your light shine in such a way from, from, excuse me, let your light shine before men in such a way that many will see your good works and glorify your Father who is, who is in heaven. So, so first of all, it says, you know, there's a, there's a really bad song, you know, you get a lot of those not very good theological songs on, on the Christian radio station. It's talking about, you know, working to become salt, working to become light. What Jesus is saying is that we are that, right? We are that. Uh, we can allow circumstances of life to cloud that, or we can, our witness can be bad, and, and we're, we're not doing very well in those areas. But those are things that we, that we are. And, and what does it mean to be, to be salt? John MacArthur explains that the Christians are a preserving influence in the world. We're, we're there to retard uh, moral and spiritual spoilage. Now, this should be an encouragement to us. You know, without us, without the church in the world, it would be a lot worse. Right? And depending on where you're coming with your eschatology, I won't get into it because Brian and I differ a little bit. Uh, you, the, if, the, if the church is gone, I mean, evil is just going to run rampant. It is just absolutely going to go crazy. And so we have, we have a responsibility. We have a privilege. We have the opportunity to be God's presence here on earth as, as spirit-filled believers. Just, just our presence. And this has nothing to do with what we speak. Just our, our presence has that preserving element to, to our culture. You know, I, I didn't, uh, wasn't a full-time coach th- this last year. But I have had coached at the, the high school level, and the head coach, he was actually in the video earlier, he, he, uh, he's a believer, he's part of our, our coach's Bible study, and he was really excited that when I started coaching with him, that there would be another believer on staff just to kind of hold back some of the coaches and the, and the things and their behaviors, and I went to um, uh, their, their camp, the team camp at at uh, Linfield College down in McMinnville. And he was just so appreciative to have another believer just to, to, just to kind of preserve the moral. Because, you know, the guys want to go out after, after everything's done and drink and, and, and the jokes. And, the, and they catch themselves. They catch themselves and they, and they hold back. Just not necessarily because they like me. It's just because of, of what we stand for. And that's an exciting thing. It's, a, it's an encouraging thing. And, you know, I always tell people, though, is like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I know you're a Christian. And I always always have the opportunity to, to get into that herald point, and I'll say, hey, don't worry, be yourself, because I'm going to be myself. And so that's always a great little tool I've used to, to make sure, like, they always kind of look at me like, yeah, I'm going to tell you about Jesus at some, at some point. 
But but we but what a great what a great opportunity that we have in this world. Just just our presence, just our presence uh, to to hold back the corruption that is taking place. Which means we probably need more disciples, right? In the in the land that we we live. But then it says we're also light. Jesus is light. Uh, he's the ultimate light. You know, he came. Obviously, we we see in John, he came and you know. Uh, the world rejected the light, right? But he is, he is the true light. He provides the opportunity for, for men to be saved. The Gospel of John is great in, in understanding you know, his deity, his incarnation, and, and the opportunity that people have to, to, to respond to him. But as light, as we being the light, this, this has a direct relation uh, to the way that we, um, we speak. The, the salt is how we live, the light is, how, is what we communicate to the world. You know, we are, to, we are to point out the things that are wrong. We are to point out the things that are, that are evil with the goal of presenting biblical truth. There's a great movie, uh, and I'm, I'm forgetting the name of it, uh, Time Changer, I think it is. And this uh, professor, he wants to write this, this book, and one of the um, other professors is not going to endorse it because... He says that you know we shouldn't uh, lie or something to that effect, but he doesn't give the biblical reason for it. And so the one professor has this time machine. He sends him into the future to see what it looks like if we don't uh, present biblical truth. We can go around and say you shouldn't lie, steal, you know, drink, do all these different things. But if we don't give the biblical reason behind it, we're, we're, we're not educating the world as, as we should. And so as light, we've got we've to, you, know, you know, take that, the lamp, we put it on the table. You would never put a lamp underneath. We're, you know, we're to be like, it gives the example, the city set on the hill. You, know, you can see it during the day because it's big. You can see it at night because it's, it's lit up. And what's, what's Jesus' point? Well, his point is that there's no such thing, or there shouldn't be anything uh, like a, a secret Christian, right, or undercover Christian. We're, we're to live our lives out loud. We're to explain, hey, you know, uh, Revelation twenty one eight says all liars will have their place in the lake of fire. Even your even your one little lie, God is going to judge because that's how holy and righteous He is. And of course, you present that in a in a loving and caring manner to someone. But boy, you know, I, I want you to know this because there, there's going to be a time where you're going to die, and you're gonna and you're gonna face judgment because that's what the Bible says. And I don't want you to go to hell. So, so we've we've got to we got to be lights. We, we've got to communicate. You know, I like giving the illustration of, of if your if your neighbor's house is starting to burn down, right, and you know that they're still in there, would you would you just sit in your own house? Go, well, I hope they figure it out. You know, you know, I, I'm I'm glad they know that I'm a Christian, and I hope that works for them, or you know, whatever. No, you'd go over there and you'd pound on that door. You'd kick, in, you'd kick that door and you'd, put your, you'd risk your life for them, would you not? The, the emotions, the adrenaline, you would do everything you could to save your neighbors. Right, well, guess what? Your neighbor's house is burning down. Spiritually, it is burning down. I don't recommend kicking the door in the witness to them, but <laughs> go knock on it and say, let me, let me buy you a cup of coffee. And I want to sit and I want to share the greatest message in the world to you. We're to be light, salt and light in a dark place. 
Great reason for local missions. Number five. Number five is, is to, to glorify God. It's to glorify God. I, I heard it was in the prayer this morning. We want to, we want to do things that, that honor and glorify God. And we got a great example. Consider what Jesus did in bringing glory to the Father. What does it say in Luke 19.10? What, what, what did Jesus, and you guys can speak it out loud. What did Jesus, why did he come to this earth to do what? Seek, save, right? He came to seek and save. He came to this earth with that, that very mission in mind. What was mankind? Well, mankind, Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, we, we understand that mankind was, was dead in their sins and transgressions, right? They were in, in, in spiritual deadness. They weren't, they weren't asleep and needed to be wakened. They were dead. We call that the depravity of man. They were dead. They were stuck in their love of darkness, John three nineteen. And without Jesus fulfilling the redemptive plan, the death, burial, resurrection, the, the work of the cross, all mankind would certainly face eternal damnation. But the son, as he prayed in the garden, Luke 22, verse 42, said to the father, what did he say to him? Not my will, but yours. An act of obedience that brought glory to the father. He fulfilled his mission, right? He obediently fulfilled his mission. Father was glorified through the son's actions, his sacrifice on the cross. Guess what? We got the same type of calling, right? We, we are here for a reason. God has called us to seek after the lost. I mentioned Paul's mandate earlier to take the gospel message to the Gentile world. Pretty much we're taking the message to the Gentile world, right? There's, there's probably a, a few Jewish people in our community, but, but probably very, percentage-wise, very, very small. And you know what? Does it feel like an impossible task sometimes? You know, but the First Corinthians and the Second Corinthian pastors talking about the, how ma- mankind has been blinded by the, the eyes, of, their eyes have been blinded by Satan, how they're spiritually appraised, I've already mentioned how they're dead in their sins, how they love darkness. Uh, they don't, the Romans chapter 3, they don't seek after God. They're, they're in a state of, of deadness. Well, guess what? Guess what? It is an impossible task. We've been called to an impossible t- task, but there's a big but there. Now, the disciples struggle with this when, when interacting with Jesus in regard to... Uh, into, into the rich man. Jesus said to his disciples, he says, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, Then who can be saved? If you can't get the, you know, the, the camel thing going. And he says, And Jesus looking at him said, said With man, with people this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Isn't that beautiful? You, we, 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 we're, we can't rely on elegance of speech, right? We can't uh, rely on intelligence. We can't you know, think that we could be persuasive enough. None of those things, uh, you know, money, you know, bribery, whatever, none of those things will work in getting an individual into heaven. We have, but we have God. 
We have God who's the one that changes hearts. He's the one that brings about life. And to me, you know, if, I won't get into the whole Calvin and Arminian thing, is, but, but if you believe that you're responsible for getting people saved, that's a burden that I don't want. That is, that is I want to trust in the sovereignty of God. I want to trust in, in his, his ability to change hearts because not only would I mess it up if I'm responsible for it, I would mess my own salvation up because of my, my fleshliness, right? So thank God that God is the one that saves us and seals us and, and will deliver us. But here's the, here's the, this is the thing I just love about this. So we've been called to this impossible task, and we are literally impossible tasks out there doing the work, right? Each of us are individual miracles. 1 Corinthians 5.17, we're all new creatures in Christ. We've all been changed. We've all been redeemed. We all have a, have a new mind, a new heart, a new purpose, a new outlook in life. And so as we go, boy, what a great encouragement. I, I'm a walking miracle, and I get to be obedient to the Lord to glorify him, just like the Son came to earth to glorify the Father through his sacrifice and willingness to go on the cross. You know, it's interesting. You know, I'm in, in, the, in my 20s now as far as, uh, not age, but being in Christ. And, and, and so, you know, I've kind of been there, done that. And, 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 but I'm reminded of, of who I was outside of Christ, especially when I run into old friends. You know, it's like, we remember Eric. And, and those are, stories aren't exaggerated. They're, I won't go into the stories, but they're terrible. I mean, I was a terrible, terrible individual. I grew up going to church. I hated it. I used to fake, fake getting sick or getting bloody noses or whatever to get out of service. I didn't want to be there. I'd fall asleep. I remember I'd, you know, I had this little thing where I'd go like this and I'd, and I'd sleep and I'd knock this thing off. And, and then it would wake me up as, as drool would start coming out of my, my mouth. I'll get this on here. Drool would start coming out of my mouth during, during service. I mean, that's the kind of kid I was. Do church on Sunday, and then I would just go crazy for the, the rest of the week. And, and I remember there was a guy in my church named, his name is Steve Risto. He's now a, a pastor up in Alaska. And one of those, the small community-type pastors. And, and I was leading a men's Bible study. And I, and I like to do a, a question of the week, they go around the circle. It was a younger singles group type guy. I think Jen and I were newly married, so I had a bunch of single guys. And I would ask a question. And so one particular week I said, uh, I want you to share a story of, of when somebody got saved that you know that you would have never thought that person would get saved. Talking about the impossible task, right? And, and so everyone went around. They all shared uh, their story. They all shared about their, their person. And, and so after the study was over, Steve Risto comes up to me and says, says, Eric, I got a confession to make. I, I lied. And I go, what do you mean? He says, well, the person that, that I shared wasn't really the person that I was thinking of. The person I was thinking of was, you guessed it, me. <laughs> and so, so God, God is glorified. God is honored when we're in this, in this process. What a great, great thing to be part of. Number six, we evangelize locally. We do the mission, local missions to, to strengthen the local church. It brings strength to the local church. Now, each church is going to have a, have a different personality. 
Each church is going to have a different culture. Uh, each co- uh, uh, church is going to have different sort of programs that they're involved in. They're going to have a different style, you know, different worship styles. By the way, I love your worship style. Uh, there's going to be some different methods. There's like lots of different methods of evangelism. Some are not so biblical. Some are, are very biblical. But there's a lot of different things that you, we're going to engage in as a local church. But, but, here, but here's the thing. Each local church, each New Testament church is going to have three major chief responsibilities. The first is that we're to, we're to honor God. We just talked about uh, honoring God in evangelism, but we honor God through mostly through our personal holiness, right? The way that we live, 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever we do, we do for the glory of God. We, we live differently. That, that brings strength to a local church. The second thing is, is that we equip our members for service. You guys do a very, very good job in this. Ephesians uh, 4, 11 and 12, he you know, gave some gifting to evangelists, pastors, teachers for the equipping of saints for the work of service. We all have different giftings. We all have different ways that the Lord has uniquely gifted us for, for service in the local body. Pastor, the leadership, the elders, lay leaders, um, Bible study leaders, who, you know, Sunday school teachers, whoever it is, a great responsibility of, of educating and, and preparing the church to serve, serve, serving in and out of, of the body. But the third is, is what we've been talking about. It, it's to evangelize. It is to evangelize. Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, but it's for the power of God to salvation. That is, as we've already talked about, is that is what we're supposed to to do and to be a balanced church, if it's probably a better word than, than balanced. But if we want to be balanced, we got to make sure that we're working on all these areas. We just can't come and, and be fed all the time, fed and fed and fed and, and, and never kind of share what we've been, we've been learning. You know, I remember meeting with a pastor one time and he was asking about my church. He says, so how, can I, how can I teach my church evangelism? And I says, you, you just can't teach it. Again, it's, a, it's an action word. You've got to teach it, and then you've got you've to lead. You've got to go. You've got to get your people in front of other people. And, and unfortunately, and I told you I'd be, be honest with you, is that I, I see, you know, I've been at it for a while uh, in ministry, and I see that evangelism oftentimes takes a lower priority in the church. A lot of times I see, uh, you know... And, You'll, you'll understand what I mean with this, and I'm, I'm not trying to be rude with, with anybody, but sometimes it, like a weaker, maybe it's not as gifted staff member will get the role of evangelism kind of thrust upon them, or maybe it's someone that's in, in training in the process and doesn't really quite have their legs underneath them, and they say, well, we've got to have evangelism program, so we're going we're gonna to give it to you, see, see if they can, they can uh, get something done here. Well, if, if it's a chief responsibility, it should be a major priority in a local church. And, and I love what, what happened in, in Antioch. Uh, this was a, the sending out process. Who did, the, who did the church in Antioch send out? They sent out Paul and Barnabas. They sent out their best. They sent out their very best. And so, so when we do this and we, and we seek to be balanced and we seek to, 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 to excel at all these different responsibilities as a church then it's just going to strengthen the church. It's going to strengthen the church. And then all those other things that we've been talking about, God is, God is going to be, be honored and glorified through that. The, the last one is 
Now, the last reason for, for local missions is, is to see conversion growth in the church, to see growth through, through new disciples. There's many ways a, a church can grow. Uh, there can be transfer growth. And as a pastor, that's, that's really probably the scariest type of, of way for a church to grow because you don't always know what you're getting. It could be, it could be good and it could be bad. You know, somebody's maybe just popping around, going to church to church, and they're just causing problems everywhere they go, and they get passed on, on to the next. Other times, uh, you know, it's, it's great. You know, someone, a new church starts or something like that, and, and you get, a, uh, get some members that have been attending someplace else. You get, they get their blessing from their leadership. They become uh, part of the church, and they plug in, and they're, and they're wonderful. But that is, that is a way a, a church will grow. Uh, there's relocation. Uh, a lot of people moving in this community, right? So there's a lot of people relocating, looking, looking for a church. One thing I would say about relocation uh, growth is if you move from, from here someday, uh, know where you're going and what church you're going to be at before you get there. You know, study it, talk to the pastors, get, get recommendations. It's nothing worse than going a couple years and not having a you know, wasting a couple of years trying to find a find a church, but you're going to grow because of relocation. Uh, very apparent, uh, beginning of service that this church is growing through new babies and kids. Uh, we had that same thing. I don't know. We probably had close to ten or so kids in the little kids in the nursery in our our Banks church. We had several of them ourselves. Uh, it's it, it's 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 exciting. Uh, new new kids uh, being born in the church. Congratulations, by the way. Uh, but but then there's also conversions, people coming to Christ, and 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 it, to me this is the most exciting uh, way to see a church grow. Uh, one just because of the the new birth, but but two because of I've I've experienced it. You know I've experienced it, it firsthand and. And, you know, I love the, the, I mentioned earlier the Acts chapter 2 when the Lord was adding to the number of the church daily. Seeing all these new people come in. Now, boy, 3,000 and then 5,000 and then the others. I mean, it, I would not want to be in that leadership team trying to figure out. <laughs> we could put the chairs here and there and it was, we need a bigger school. You know, like the old Jaws, we need a bigger boat. You know, it's like we don't have enough to, to fit everyone in here. But, but. From my experience, and, and this is when I went out and uh, planted my first church, I remember a buddy of mine said, why are you going to go plant this church? And I, and I gave him two reasons. I said, I said, I want to I equip, I want to preach the word, and I want to evangelize. And it's just, my heart is always beating for evangelism. And so the first two years we grew, we grew through transfer growth, we grew, grew from some re, um, relocation, we, lived the, we were in a community where uh, there wasn't a solid Bible-believing church, and so a lot of people were commuting into town, wanted to be part of uh, uh, this new church that was preaching the word, and so we'd encourage them to go talk to the leadership. We even got a letter signed by the elders. You, you have these people with our blessing, and so we had this instant stability, but it drove me nuts because I wanted, I, I wanted to see people get saved, and so we got to the, this two-year mark, and then all of a sudden, this, this one gal... Um, we started a youth group before the church was even started. And, and so one of these girls that were in the youth group for, for the first couple of years uh, was just, you know, drove me crazy. Just talking and the other kids would talk and they weren't very respectful. And it was just, we just questioned, should we even do this youth group? We just could not rein these kids in. 
And then this young lady got saved. And, I mean, it was, it was no exaggeration. We, we finished a youth group one night, and the gal just literally comes and just like almost, you know, like falls into my arms and is like, I get it. I get it. It all makes sense. And, and you know, she instantly started making changes in, in her life. And then it was just like a domino effect, one after next, just getting saved. And, and so we, we, you know, I told you that the method that we'd use with the giving the, the Bible to them. And so on a Sunday morning, you know, I'd get up to preach and I would say, you know, turn to, uh, you know, such and such book and, and chapter. And I would look out and all these either black or maroon Bibles would come out from, from the ones that we had given away. And the electricity, the energy, the excitement and the enthusiasm of all these, these new believers in the church was so exciting. It like four or five of the, um, or like four of the, the kids that, uh, I meant to say four or five of them went on to Bible college, these kids that got saved. Um, one of them is my, the chairman of our board for sports outreach now. He's, he's, he's like almost 30 years old. Um, it was just exciting to see the lives change for, forever. And, and, I, and I'm telling you, it, it, it's exciting to, to gather with like-minded believers, but to gather with like-minded believers, with new believers, is, is even more exciting. Because they're, they're babes. They're hungry. You know, my father called me a spiritual sponge when I was first saved because I, just, I couldn't get enough. I just, and, and to have spiritual sponges in your, in your midst uh, that, you know, that aren't worried about the color of the carpet. You know, kind of, unfortunately, some veteran uh, Christians care about things like that. They, they just want to learn. They want to know. They want to be fed. And so, to me, that is a great reason to do, to do local missions. The, these are the top seven that I came up with. I, I, I thought of numerous more that, that we, could be, we, could, we could put down. But, but church, it, it is a great responsibility and is a great opportunity. And I like to call it for gospel saturation. To saturate your community right in the city limits. You're probably pushing 20,000 people you got all the people uh in the the outlying areas and in towns and and you have the opportunity to share christ with them this football clinic is an opportunity we'll have two testimonies and a gospel message and we're going to give each kid a bible that participates and then you're going to have their all their information to be able to follow up with them you know we were talking we had a meeting last night and I was telling them about our baseball clinic last year. We had 116 kids at this baseball clinic. They heard two solid testimonies. Pastor Coulter from down at Edgewood gave the um, gospel message at the end of that. And, and I said, I said to, I've said to people, I go, if you can figure out a way, a better way to get 116 kids together with a lot of their parents hanging out to hear two testimonies and a gospel message, I'll do it. But for me, that's the best way I know how to gather people uh using using sports as a medium and 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 here we're going to have this great opportunity to do this i know ryan's going to talk more about it but but i want to i want to ask you the final question it's a series of questions actually is is what motivates you i came up with seven things that really motivate me there's so much in the new testament that that motivates and encourages us and challenges us to get out there and and, and I guess the follow-up question is, is, do you want to make disciples? Do you want to see new baby Christians floating around here? Do, do you want to see that? Do you, 
Do you want to live in obedience? That's really the, the biggest thing, is right? Is obedience. Because I'm telling you, they're, they're, I, I, my oldest is a, is a believer, and she's sharing uh, her faith in, in school, and, and she's texting me about it. And, and I, I've texted her back. I go, man, obedience feels pretty good, doesn't it? Obedience always feels good because you're, you're doing what the Lord has asked you to do. Do you want to play a role in combating the, the moral decline in our culture? You know what we excel at? We excel at talking about it, right? Complaining about it. Do we want to excel in, in, in being in the battle? Guess what? If you're in a battle, you're going to get wounded. You're going to get dirty. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to go through the trials. But again, it's, it's worth it. It's worth it being salt in light. And, and do you want to be a strong church? Or You are a strong church. A growing, getting stronger and stronger and stronger. Because at the end of the day... That glorifies the Lord, and, and, that is, and that is what Christ did, and that's that we have the opportunity to do. So I hope this is encouraging to you. Uh, it gets me fired up. It just gets me fired up reading through these, these things and, and thinking about uh, the opportunities, all the opportunities that we have. And, and by the way, you know, I think the moral decline in our culture has given Christians the greatest opportunity, an opportunity that we didn't have before. Our country, the, 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 the time frame of our country is, is unique because in other cultures and in other times, Christians weren't tolerated as much as we're tolerated right now. They were fed to the lions, right? Uh, we've, we've, we've had a nice little honeymoon stage in our, in our country, and that is coming to an end. And so now... All the apathy and all the, 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 the tolerance that we had is, is going. And so, so now the line is, is clear. The, the, the divide is clear. These are Christians and we are, are non-Christians. And so, so it's, it, makes it, it makes evangelism easier. You're not dealing with someone that, that thinks they might be saved. They're, they're, they're going to be more clearly, I'm not saved or I am saved because the commitment level to follow Christ is, is greater than it ever has. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you so much for, for your word. I thank you for all these reasons, all these New Testament reasons for evangelism, local um, missions, engaging people with, uh, with the gospel message. And Lord, I, I praise you we get to do it. I praise you we get to do it every single day of our lives. I praise you that we get to do it for special events, you know, through the holidays, through uh, sports clinics, through... Uh, through any means possible, Lord, to, to herald the greatest message of all time. And, Lord, I thank you that you use us. You use us in this impossible mission where we can't do it apart for you. Help us just to be faithful with our part, Lord, to, 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 to be the messengers, to be the ones that, that get to share the truth that changed our lives with others. We praise you, Father, in your holy name. Amen.